0: Hello, hello, and welcome to the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute podcast. The GCLI has developed a pedagogy of leadership which combines brain science, leadership studies, cultural competency, and developmental psychology. Its mission is to teach teachers to teach leadership to students. This is your go to podcast for discussions, tips, and stories for leadership and leadership education. And I am your host, Katherine Birdie, but please call me Birdie. Our world is in dire need of people just like you, people who are committed to building communities of leaders, young and old. So let's get busy leading the next generation of leaders and thank you for joining us.
1: Hello, hello, GCLI. Welcome to an episode that celebrates 20 years of the Gardner Carney Leadership Institute. These 20th anniversary episodes will be fun and informative. As you listen, I invite you to think back to the year 2004. What were you doing and how has time, world events, and the GCLI shaped your own pedagogy for teaching leadership? Today's guest always has a wealth of important wisdom to share, so I am very excited to walk down memory lane with Dr. Catherine Steiner-Adair. Hello, Catherine. Hello there, Bertie. 20 years for me. Mm. I blinked, and twenty years have come and gone. How about mm-hmm. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <think> there's left. <laughs> I, I mean, when you I, I, at a certain age, you know those years just the those as they say the days can be long and the years are short. Um, I was in a recent uh, conversation with Jeremy about kind of some foundational truths of the GCLI. And for listeners who may not be aware of this amazing white paper that's on our website, in 2003, um, this white paper was founded that I believe um, set forth a fundamental truth that is not going to change. And that is the fact that teachers hold the keys to a healthy society. I do believe that. And I think it is incredible that these 20 years later, that is kind of a constant that I I personally um, lean into, but um, so much has changed. So in 2004, what were you doing? Do you recall?
2: I do a little bit. Uh, the easiest way to recall is to think about where I was as a mom. I yeah. had a 14 year old and an 18 year old, and both of them were in the process of looking for their next schools. So that's always a fun time. It can be challenging too with your kids because you get to have more of a sense of who, how they see themselves and who they think they want to be. And I think also at that time, 2004, I was working still in a lot of uh, girls' schools looking at how to close the leadership gap for girls. Like why were all these smart girls dropping, you know, on the front line once they left their schools. You know, I think back then it was something like only 10% of female valedictorians went on to any higher ranking job after they graduated. You know, the glass ceiling was really high on the one hand. And on the other hand, it was more of an exciting time, frankly, than right now for women's rights. That's um, right. That we lost ones recently. Yeah. And I think I was also... Uh, in some wonderful long-term relationships with some schools, really helping them look at school culture, although that's evolved enormously, you know in the twenty years uh, since I started doing that.
1: What were some of those things? I, I think like 20, 2004, um what were what were some of the hot spots in the field of clinical psychology and consulting and education?
2: Well, SEL was certainly you know, coming in on the scenes pretty strongly. And um, we weren't back then in the same ways talking about school culture, but we were really starting to look at how to strengthen the social-emotional intelligence and skills that kids had so they could better deal with their lives. You know, at that point, there was a pretty significant gap between what advising was doing or how advisory was occurring in schools and whether or not the students were getting their needs met for having the kinds of conversations and learning, you know, skills I think we all teach now, like, you know, collaborative problem solving and how to give feedback and how to be empathic and all the, you know, the clarifying questions and empathy and wisdom that we teach in uh, open session. And people were really struggling back then. And parents, (laughs) I did a lot of parent education and outreach back then because parents were in the process of really outsourcing, beginning to more and more outsource their parenting to schools. And that was a big change. Um, You know, parents were emailing and, you know, writing their teachers, their kids' teachers or the head of the schools in ways that parents who had to pick up a phone to make a call just would not have done.
1: That's um, so true. That is so, so true. I'm thinking back on my, you know, again, 2004, I had a, a two year old and I was grappling with <laughs> um, whether or not to stay in the classroom or not. Um, that was my big decision. And I ended up mm-hmm. actually leaving the classroom and teaching altogether for eight years. And I do mm-hmm. remember being tethered in 2004. To emails, a lot of emails um, yes. that I did not have in my earliest years of teaching. That's mm-hmm. really cool. That's a, that's a, and then and then, <laughs> and then mm-hmm. the. Um, let's fast forward a few years because I know it wasn't long after that that you started researching for your book that I will call an evergreen text. Um, mm-hmm. Listeners, it's called the Big Disconnect, and in 2013, Publishers Weekly called it one of the best books of the year in the wall street journal um, picked it as a best nonfiction text. And it still, mm-hmm. it still holds. Um, let's talk about that for a bit. If you don't mind. Um, you, you seem to have your finger on the pulse of, of what I, I think now is as, as big a problem as ever way, way back in mm-hmm. 2007. Um, was it 2007? Did I get that right? That you started researching? Yes.
2: Well, for me, it was the, the light bulb went off in my head. When,
1: uh, in 2011 with texting. Oh, 2011. Okay. Texting mm-hmm. in 2011. Okay. Yep. Let's talk about it. Cause I think that, um, I think that's really kind of where, where your expertise can really highlight the journey that we've all been on since emails were in the classroom. And then we have Facebook coming in and online in universities, especially in 2004. And then the IFP. Phone was introduced in 2007. That's where I got that number. And then you started um, your work. So let's, let's kind of talk about what, what prompted that work and then what's, what we've seen since.
2: Well, two things prompted the book. The first one was um, <laughs> when I was in my private practice, when a couple of teenagers and then, then a, a parent came in and <laughs> they were, trying to get some help from me dealing with some text chains that they had gotten. And in each case, they handed me their phone um, to say and said, what what did they mean? What did she mean? Does she still like me? And the word was S-O-R-R-Y. And in all three cases, I thought, oh, my gosh, we've lost the two most significant forms of human communication even though now we can communicate 24-7 because with that tone of voice and seeing the impact of your words on the other person, you have no idea what's going on. And suddenly I start to feel like people are coming to me to be an Oracle and not a therapist. (laughs) Like I'm supposed to be able to understand the intent. And, you know, we talk all the time about intent and impact. Well, we are painfully clueless when it comes to texting even with emojis, because emojis can be used to torture you and lead you down false expectations. And um, the second thing that the thing that really gave me the hard I've got to do this for the book was actually after friend and I had walked the beaches of Normandy mm-hmm. and all the, um, the graveyards, the, the fields. And, you know, you walk there and you just feel like you are walking on blood. You know, I mean, it was just so profound and so moving. And both of us, you know, had had fathers who were in the war. And um, we went to this little cafe and sitting directly across from this cafe was an older woman. I couldn't tell whether it was a grandmother or a mom, a teenager. And they sat there the entire time we had our meal. And she was texting in her lap. And the adult woman said, nothing. And I had this image pop into my brain because I... I often think in images or Broadway show tunes, um, and it was of a white, like bowl, like the dessert bowl on the table, full of uh, blackberry telephones, and I had this, you know, title come into my little head that said "Blackberries for Dinner," and it was <laughs> a party. You know, right,
1: sitting in right, a- right, right. Oh my goodness. Oh so, my goodness. So
2: I- I wrote the book proposal and everything went great. It was the first time I've ever written a public book, you know, not like for Harvard Med or Teachers College or something. And then they, they loved the proposal, but they said, we have to change that title. And I love my title. I love <laughs> your I loved title it. too. <laughs> <laughs> and then they wisely said it will get shelved in like nutrition and cookbooks because people okay. think it's about. and at that point the rim phone rm's blackberry phone was really starting to decline in america as the iphone of course was taking over and apple was eating our lives up so they went for a very descriptive title the big disconnect protecting childhood and family relationships in the digital age which is too long to read but it does tell you what the book is about and the Bless the uh, jacket designer who came up with that fabulous book cover. I actually asked if I could thank her. And they were like, nobody does that. I thought, well, I would like to. (laughs) Who is this marvelous person? And she showed me all the iterations. Oh, my gosh. It was fascinating to see. You know, we look at these books. We think, oh, nice nice jacket or, eh, boring jacket. It is a lot of work. Oh,
1: I bet. And it's a great jacket cover. It really is. It It really really is. is. I love it. Well... I mean so that was published in 2013 and yep. and we're still talking about it more than ever.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, it just went to China and Korea. I mean it it it's it's still like you said evergreen. I learned that phrase it means a book that doesn't die after its mm-mm. publication.
1: Yeah, everybody should definitely check it out. Um but I in in terms of what you're talking about now, let's let's shift. So, you know, this has been yep your a, a lot of your career um talking to schools about many things but is there ever an oppor- is there ever a time when you're not going to mention how social media or phones interface no. with the no. with schools it's the number what one do you see- parents okay and it's the number
2: one it's like top five for teachers because sometimes we'll talk core curriculum or we'll talk advisor mm-hmm. SEL. yeah we'll talk about it. Changing school culture, which is what I love to do. Um, and it's top of mind for kids. Although it's becoming more top of mind for kids than it was originally.
1: Yeah, how so?
2: Well, you know, kids were like, oh, this is great. We're so lucky. You know, I can text with my best friend when I'm doing my homework. But then I say, when I talk to them, well, here's what's happening in your brain when you're doing that. <laughs> you know? You might want to rethink it. Um we have so much more research now that we can offer students, which I do starting in fifth grade. You know, basically my premise is you're the boss of your brain, and this is horrible because it's so hard and it's designed to be hard. So I also try and appeal to their social justice. You know, these folks are really ripping you off, like right now and long term, because your capacity to develop certain mega highways in your brain are not going to happen if you don't turn those things off into your homework without multitasking. So anyhow, the good news is we have more research. The good news is also that the, um, advocacy for privacy, the cope of people who i have been, you know, behind the scenes working with. And, um, you know, the, the folks who have sued jewel are also suing Apple and a bunch of other people are. And, um, you know, Ameri- actually, we've been more able to put up better prevention guardrails in Europe and other countries that don't have our constitution. You know, freedom of speech is a very tricky thing, as we are seeing yet again. Yeah. And other countries have the Minister of Child Health and Wellbeing. And if you have that in your top-level office, then you can say, absolutely no, 13 and under, 15 and under. You know, we're going to... Be very aggressive. We're going to have, you know, systems in place that are far more protective than we have right
1: now in the States. That's so, so amazing. I mean, it's in 20 years, so much has happened and the, the world has changed, it, the world has very, changed so much. It
2: has, it, ha- it has,
1: it has. And the access to all of the hard things that may have been happening all along are, right in the palm of our hands and okay. what that does to mental health for all of us.
2: Absolutely. I, mean, I, mean, I read, I was, reading, I think it was Thomas Friedman or David French or somebody, I can't remember who, but they said, this is really like the second real world war. And what they meant is that we are seeing the devastation in the Middle East live as it is happening. And it's very different from watching Walter Cronkite. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody's seeing, it. so you know, the whole world is involved because the whole world is witnessing it. Not just the two or three countries that are involved in it. Yeah,
1: that's huge. That's it is huge. huge. It is huge. Well, I appreciate your research, and I want to. I want to end with um, in a in a meeting we were both in not too long ago. We both. Um, I discovered that you were reading a book that I've been digging into and that's David Brooks's new book, um, the, how, how to know, how to know a person. And it is fantastic. Um, and I think it's really, um, you know, it's, it doesn't answer all of the problems, but in terms of just the, the human, um, Mm -hmm. The, the human approach to relationships and changing culture and teaching and being mm-hmm. known, seen and heard um, to me is, is all in that book. So um, it's a beautiful you, book.
2: Everybody should read it. Kids should study it in high school. Um, I think so it's too. So it is so user friendly. I, it really is. I gave it to every man I love. And then one of the men wrote back, said I'm giving it to every man I love. <laughs> and it's not that the women it's, don't need it too. It was just, you know, I just, went through my Christmas was that way. and, And anyhow, but, um, you know, I think that the good news is in many places, kids and especially college students and young adults are starting to be able to get some psychological distance, what we call cognitive distance from the attention grabbing algorithms of their smartphones. And, The more schools start teaching this in first and second and third grade, which you can do and should do, um, teaching kids why it's so hard to get off of a game and why it's so compelling and what they're missing out on and how important nature is for your brain and how important play dates were. There are no devices because you're creating and playing together and dealing directly with the ups and downs that happen around sharing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think kids are starting to get more, a little more um, uh, skeptical, critical, and um, reclaiming their own needs for intimacy and for friendship.
1: And I think that's, and, let, and let's hope that holds and that it actually yeah. gains momentum because the next twenty years depend on just the, just that, those approaches to it, it, to it engagement. Is. And this, they really do.
2: You know the, the schools that I've been able to work with you know for, for a, a few years, I've helped them create a whole new core curriculum, which has been really cool. And you know if I were to say what's changed in 20 years to sum this up 20 years ago we had um, you know SEL type experiences on the periphery. We had leadership for the 30 kids in your school who were designated leaders. We had health and sexuality for the 20 kids in 11th and 10th grade who got their first at sign up. You know, all these things were on the periphery. And, you know, what some of the schools I've been working in have done is that they've created a whole new core curriculum, scope and sequence, K through 12, where, you know, in the mission statement, they say we value honesty and compassion and, you know, listening to one another and being respectful and all those things, but they don't teach the skills. Mm-hmm. So what schools are realizing is that, especially as we go into the AI world, it is so essential that every kid gets, throughout the year, consistent training in you know, what I refer to as the tools of our humanity, because that's going to decide what happens in the future. It really and will. The, those skills, I would say, and certainly David Brooks and you would agree, are absolutely core. They get to the heart of the matter for the survival of democracy and for us as as people and yep. teachers, we're we it. I mean, that's the great thing about being a teacher.
1: We are the shapers of the future. We really are. And it's it's um I hope as we kind of come out of this pandemic years and look forward and to a, a healthier tomorrow that these are the, the tenets that hold. I really do. And I am so grateful for the GCLI community. And for those of you who want to talk about this some more, come on out to the lab this summer. We've got some other new um, opportunities for schools. And just let us know what you want to hear about. Let us know what you want to talk about. And um, just stay healthy, stay engaged. And um, thank you to all teachers who are doing this work because we really do depend on you. With that, I'll sign off. Indeed. Indeed. Thank you, Catherine. Oh,
0: Bernie, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank y'all for joining us today. And we'll see you in two weeks time. Until then, visit us at gclileadership.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You'll find all of our links at the bottom of our podcast. And until then, lead on.